Section 4 of Living on Half a Dime a Day. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Living on Half a Dime a Day by Sarah Elizabeth Harper Monmouth. Section 4. It has been my experience in falling into adverse fortune to receive most aid and kindness from sources I should not have expected to receive from, from persons comparatively strangers till the adversity befell, that I had done no favors and had no claims on, while others I thought would increase their friendliness and offerings have withdrawn and made themselves strangers. I know not, nor ever shall know the reason why, but I must not speak of this. It was a greater agony than the loss of money. The only sympathy deserving the name has come from those who have been themselves sufferers. Many have mocked me with their pity because they did not know my pain. Others have ignored the great trouble and loss, and carried themselves as if it were but a morbid imagination, thus adding insult to indifference. Under most of the proffered advice or consolation, I have needed to pray every moment, forgive them, they know not what they do, for it all was but afflicting the afflicted. My most efficient aid has never come from the rich. They have made some casual proffer and soon forgot it, leaving me more distressed than before it was made. From the but moderately well-off, from the widow in straitened circumstances, the best help has come. They have been more ready to divide their little than the rich to give out of such an abundance that they would never feel or miss the charity bestowed, if that be a charity which costs neither sacrifice nor self-denial. The friends of life's darker days will never be forgotten. They enable one to think better of human nature, that there are a few here and there who are drawn rather than repelled by adversity, who show a practical belief in the Bible which says, Remember the poor, rather than in the Koran which says, Deal with the fortunate. But it may be said, in this style of living there was no provision for incidental expenses or contingencies, and no one can live long without encountering these. Very true. When my gate fastenings were stolen, or when they evaporated, or the wind blew them away, I tied it together with strings. When the shed rained down too hard in one spot, I moved the woodpile to another. Fortunately, it never took more than five minutes. When thirty shot holes were put through a front window by some wanton hand, I closed the blinds and let it go. When the plastering dropped down in the rooms, I pasted patches of cloth over the bare brown laths. No money now for repairs. Such jobs must lay over till my ship come in. I was often told in these years that I must not look on the dark side, but pray and trust, and all would be well. I noticed the persons who were so ready with this advice were such as had ample means to meet all their necessary expenses and provide for contingencies. With well-filled stomachs, well-stored pantries, well-roofed dwellings, they came where all these things were wanting, and complacently, reprovingly, bade poverty and pain Look on the bright side, be resigned, trust and pray. I recoiled from them with inexpressible horror. 
I was as one stricken dumb. I don't know as any prayer passed my lips for months beyond an agonized groan, and I did not know what trust and resignation meant. I did not think about these things. Life was paralyzed. There were many who would say, If you want anything, let us know. It is needless to say I never wanted anything on that invitation. Thus they would compel me to the asking of perpetual doles. There was acute suffering in the most sensitive faculties, and for honorable reasons. One who has no pride or ambition, no proper consideration for his standing in society, and would as soon hang helpless on the hands of others as strive for his own support, would not be worthy the name of man. There had been such a wrench and revolution in affairs that all my lifelong habits and ways were changed, and I didn't know myself or the world I was in. I even apprehended that real estate might become unreal beneath my feet if the walls of my house had shattered down into a pile of jack straws. I don't know as I should have been surprised. So overwhelming on me was the uncertainty, the evanescent nature of all sublunary things. One and another prayed for my fortune to come back. I should just as soon have thought of praying for my mother to come back. They said, I must ask God to take my pain away. I don't think I ever did, though I had no formula of words, the burden of my spirit was, Make me like thee, O Savior. I was to pray for daily bread, and I had it. But the loaf did not drop down from the sky, and as I opened the window, come in and take a seat on the table before me, no miraculous manna was mine. God did not feed me by direct miracle. Nonetheless, he did feed me, however, because he did it through the action of powers and faculties implanted in my nature. Continuance, perseverance, he stirred up to put forth utmost endeavor. Through self-denial and arithmetic, I got my daily food. I believe in a special divine providence, but that it works within the sphere of natural and social laws and employs them. But you could make no provision for sickness on forty dollars a day, says one. That is true, but people who live with such severe simplicity will not be as liable to acute disorders as those who are more self-indulgent. Fevers, pneumonias, summer complaints, I felt no apprehension of, and they did not visit me. I had nervous debility, heart difficulty, and the crippled arm. This arm I would have felt more comfortable if I could have had spirits to bathe it in, but this I could not afford. Had any severe illness befallen, I must have mortgaged the house to pay bills. But mine were old chronic diseases that doctors or medicines could not much benefit, nor was I useful enough to justify much outlay. Thus I got along with no end of blame, criticism, and misrepresentation. What person ever has capacity to comprehend another, or will make any candid endeavor to realize another's situation, and intelligently see and admit what they can and what they cannot do as they are placed? People are absorbed in their own affairs, and their judgments of others are very superficial, very unjust often, and based on no correct understanding of the circumstances which environ the life of the individual they arraign and condemn, perhaps. 
they take full cognizance of whatever comes within the sphere of their own interests and desires. But other people with far different views and aspirations they do not comprehend. They are strange. There is something wrong about them. Where might be your home, mister? asked a back-country woman of a traveler who called at her door. Boston, madam, was the polite response. Dear, dear, what makes you live so far off? was the pitying rejoinder. So, people that differ widely from our ideas and pursuits we regard as far off, and are inclined to look on with a sort of condescending pity, though theirs should be the privileged city, while ours is but the rude or barren wilderness. Take everyone's advice and then do as you please, says somebody. I had to do so. Everybody advised me to eat my house. How was it possible to accept such advice? I was not a rat or squirrel and had not the requisite masticating apparatus. I used to wish I could eat the barn sometimes. If it had been built of bread instead of boards, a considerable portion of it would be wanting now, I doubt not, for there were some long, dreadful months of which I speak not at all. But to sell my buildings in order that I might eat pound cake, when I could peacefully inhabit them with my pot of oatmeal, what a shameful, inglorious thing to do! How should I ever be able to look my parents in the face hereafter? The old house was all there was left, a shelter, a hiding place, for I was as some hunted creature driven to bay. If I could bear to live, how could I bear to die elsewhere? I had great love of locality, and my adhesiveness was as hoops of steel. With the forces of my nature at their best, I doubt if I could have summoned up resolution to dissever myself from the old place. Now I did not entertain such a thought. There was a pathetic tale in one of my papers at this time of two sisters who had lived past middle age in a certain room of the house in which they were born. They kept every article of furniture standing just where it had stood when they were little children growing up with their mother. They supported themselves by hand sewing. At length machines came in and cut them off. They could get no work. One of them fell ill, the other got worn out taking care of her, and the wolf was upon them. The overseer of the poor went and said it was no use trying to keep along any further. They must sell off what they had and go to the almshouse to be supported. The sister who told the pitiful tale said she guessed the man didn't mean to be unkind, but he spoke in a hard way. She supposed he couldn't know what their feelings were, and after he was gone, the younger sister, who had been nursing the invalid one, went wild, walking round and round the room, touching each precious article of furniture, whispering to herself and wringing her hands. The sick one cried herself to sleep, and when she awoke her faithful nurse was gone. After three days she was found afar off among some desolate hills, but reason had left her. She just moaned, Don't let them take away my mother's little table. Don't let them break us up and send us to the poorhouse. Some humane people were at length moved to save the few articles of furniture and make a provision by which the pair could have a humble room to themselves with the things they prized so much around them. But the help came too late to one of the poor sisters. Seasonably given, it might have saved her from breaking down. She was never herself again, but lived years in a harmless insanity. 
and the elder one who took patient care of her said, I suppose it is too bad in me, but sometimes I can but think how different it all might have been if only someone had found out our need and helped a little before poor Harriet broke down. Ah, yes, if people would not let their good deeds lag and give the little lift, the small help at the right moment, which means so much before and so little after the Harriets of the world break down, how large an amount of suffering might be spared. This pathetic tale made a deep impression on my mind in my present circumstances. Were I reduced to the condition of this hapless Harriet, I should have no sister to take care of me. I believe from sheer inability to act I remained quiescent at this time, and my ears were pained by reproaches uttered and reproaches implied. No one looked beyond my physical well-being, and this had quite dropped out of sight with me. It depressed and distressed me to hear it named. I was dragged down and set to complaining by people's words. When left to myself, I maintained for the most part a much better frame of mind. There were moments when I sunk utterly down and cried, Oh, but to see for an hour the world where its wanted look, to have the burden lifted, to have wiped out the memory of cruel wrong, to feel I've enough for all my wants and to help others, that there need be no more struggle or anxiety, and then to die before the dread reality is rolled back on me. But these were moods, the fluctuations of feeling not at my control while the mind staggered under a succession of severe shocks. There would be the ebb and flow of courage and resolution. My constructive faculty was a help and comfort. It kept me occupied planning and devising ways and means of getting along. Then I would read something that tended to moral growth and improvement of character, and ponder and meditate upon it. It seemed to me as if I was managing with my mind as a mother will sometimes manage with a child that inclines to an object hurtful and dangerous by coaxing off its attention in other directions and fixing it on objects it may safely enjoy. I had also a certain power of concentration which I had held in much disesteem heretofore. It often made me appear abstracted and moody but now it was one of my best friends, as I could, after a brief conflict, become absorbed in the occupation of the hour, and be intently knitting my sail socks, counting up the proceeds, and thinking what I would buy with the money. I did a dozen pairs in a month by great industry, and got two dollars. This I could not do all the time, owing to my painful crippled arm. The work was furnished me by a shaker society. These peculiar people, were very kind to me in many generous and thoughtful ways. There was a sweet Sister Mary, a poetess, skilled to make graceful and excellent gifts. She furnished me with all the tea I had for years. I am not a habitual indulger in the herb, coffee I do not use, chocolate but occasionally. Luckily I was brought up on cold water, which is my favorite and accustomed beverage still. These Shakers, Sisters of Charity, carried me through one dark, dreadful time of sickness, destitution, and neglect. I shall ever remember them with emotions of gratitude and respect. Dr. Warner has sharply arraigned the sect. Their way of life seems harmless, if eccentric. Of their doctrines I cannot say more than this. The tree is known by its fruits. 
they are a people of eminent cleanliness, industry, kindness, virtue, and good deeds, and this is no contemptible record, nor one that any person need blush for. Their manners and customs may invite some harmless criticism, but to enjoy their hospitality and then make their peculiarities the target for public satire and ridicule seems ungenerous and ungentlemanly. End of section 4